must have been some dour, serious, uh, uh, you know, eat persimmons um, kind of fella, and don't realize that he had, of course, times of great seriousness and great devotion, but also times of great humor. He was quite a funny fella, and our senses of humor don't necessarily mirror the senses of humor in his day and time. But if they did, we would have understood that he cracked up the crowds when he would say to the Pharisee, what are you doing trying to get that piece of sawdust out of Joe Schmo's eye when you got this two by four sticking out of yours? I mean, that was a bell ringer back in the day and would have cracked everyone up. And, and he had an ability to inject levity into his teaching uh, that we can tell as we read through the scriptures and it's delightful. Meanwhile this morning I am so excited uh, because I get to teach some of my favorite things of the Bible uh, and and if you're in this class or following on the internet what we're doing is a deep dive this is a, a, a kind of dive into Galatians that you would get if I hope if you were at a good seminary where, where you were taking a class in Galatians or, or perhaps you were even uh, borderline crossing over uh, into a Greek class if you had the tools to do that and really dig into Galatians. And so I'm having an absolute ball because my preparation in the main is just taking the Greek text and translating it and working through it. And, and then bringing to you the fruits of that work. And it's such a joy for me to do. So this is Galatians that we're working from. And it's a letter of grace. Grace being the gift that God gave us through Jesus. Grace being the gospel. And so I want to make sure we're in flow. One of the hardest parts of doing a series like this is making sure everybody remembers where we've been. And yet we've got some people, I met Timothy this morning, we've got some people who are new to the class, who haven't been in the flow. So we don't want to bog down, but we want to make sure that we stay up, if that makes any sense at all. So lesson number one, and all of these lessons are available thanks to our incredible uh, media team, uh, from the camera people to the sound people to the uh, internet people to the closed caption people to everybody that works on it these are all available on the internet you can get back there and look at them pause them do it to your heart's delight um, but lesson one Paul taught uh, you, you get you read this letter of Galatians and you see from the very beginning this is very serious and Paul wants you to pay attention because the gospel is powerful and it's holy it's sanctified and it's powerful. And that word gospel, if we look it up, it is God's, well, the word gospel actually, euangelion means good news. Whether it's God's or not, it could have been used for a news report uh, or something like that. But within the context of Paul's usage, God's good news to humans the gospel in Paul's usage is very specifically an event, a historical event. It's a news report of a very important historical event, the most important, that Christ died for our sins, was buried and resurrected, and we share in that with him, the death, burial, and resurrection. And that's the authentic gospel. That was lesson number three. Paul didn't get this from others. He got this from the Lord and from Scripture. And so when we read this in Galatians, we're not reading something that someone told our parents, who told their parents, who told their parents, who told... We're not looking at a Christianity that's a 2,000-year-old chain. We're going back to someone who was getting it from the source. This is Paul's letter. It's an authentic gospel. It's reliable. 
unless Paul is an absolute nutter. And when you read Paul, you can tell he's not. We have so much of his writings. If he had been a nutter, he would not have successfully evangelized the Mediterranean world in a way that took off like fire to, to dry up straw. So the authentic gospel, it's authentic, it's real, it's firsthand that God through Christ died for our sins, was buried, resurrected, as will be those who come into it. And that I taught two weeks ago is the center of our Christian faith and the center of our Christian living. And I did that because a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, who's a really smart guy and a really good theologian, armchair theologian, wrote me an email and I took that email in class and I ripped it apart two weeks ago and I could do that because when when I was you know first of all don't fear to write me emails um, I promise you I will not do that to you okay but when I was in 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 school me and all the other Bible geeks and majors and, and biblical language majors, we had no trouble going after each other like that because that's, because that's what we do, okay? That's iron sharpens iron. And this fellow's got enough theology and is enough well-read to where I just treat him like someone I went to school with and iron sharpens iron and he goes after me and I go after him. So he dishes out as well as he takes. But I will say after I ripped into that email of his uh, two weeks ago, he suggested a couple of slides for me that need to go on my next presentation, including got questions, email me, I'll share it with the class and tear it apart line by line, <laughs> or maybe with this picture that somehow he found on the internet. Um, I will not do that, and, and with uh, um, apologies if I was a bit insensitive, uh, I treated him like um, the club. And y'all just got the benefit of seeing it when he had no chance to get up and give a rejoinder. Um, so, that being said, we looked at the way the gospel is the center of, of life. And the gospel makes sense of everything that's in the past before the birth of Christ. It makes sure makes sense of everything that's in the present for us and for, for the time, biblical times, Paul. And it also defines the future and what will be coming. The gospel, the death of Christ, is the central history, of fig, uh, uh, a central historical act. It's not simply the calendar's history, B.C. and A.D. It's the center of all life. And then last week, I was not here to teach, but I had Pastor Jarrett fill in for me. And he did a marvelous job teaching on focused gospel living. And, and I, I listened to it word to word. Uh, I watched it. I, I was blessed by it. It reminded me of several things. I just am so thankful to him and his willingness. He had such a nice reception from y'all. He said, anytime, uh, let him know he'd love to be in here teaching this class. So thank you guys for loving on him and being receptive to him. Uh, I guess I should not have this fella pointed out. I need to put uh, Jarrett's face on there. There, that was the one he taught. Um, I tell you that, now originally I had to be gone last Sunday, and I had a Sunday in March I was going to be gone. The Sunday in March has been moved, and so now I will be gone next Sunday. So uh, talking to Pastor Jarrett and all, what we've lined up next Sunday is a really great substitute for me. Um, uh, his name is Pastor David Fleming. So David will be here teaching class next Sunday for me. He's so stoked and excited to see all of y'all. Uh, he and Jared have developed a great friendship and a great bond because of their common love for you guys. And so uh, uh, I'm so stoked. You know, I, I work with David now and I see him all the time. And it's, 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 it's been a great source of personal growth and, and joy for me to get this uh, extensive time with him I've had for the last year we've worked together. And, and I'm really stoked that he'll be teaching next Sunday. So you'll want to know that and uh, uh, be sure and show up and show him some love. Now, meanwhile, though, we've got a class to get to. And I've got a lot to talk to you about. So for, let's move. Let's go. Put up your tray tables. Fasten your seatbelts because we're taking off. Um, 
The class today is on the personal gospel. What it means to you and me in a personal way. Now here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to make a list. You don't have to do it right there in front of everybody on a notepad. You can, uh, you can do it in your brain. Because this is a pretty personal list. But I want you, whether you are, Brittany, how old are you? Huh? 19? Oh, you look like you're 12. Um, I want you, whether you're 19 looking like you're 12, or whether you are, no, I'm not going to ask how old you are, Miss Carolyn. Whether you, although I did go to your birthday party, um, and I know, um, or whether you are older than that, whether you are on either end of the bell curve in this class or somewhere in the middle, I want you to make a list, in your brain at least, of your behavior and attitude problems. Not the person sitting next to you, Beverly, not Max's, but yours, your behavior and attitude problems. I want you to think of those areas where you don't measure up. I want you to think of the skeletons in your closet. I want you to think of your bad habits. I want you to think of the sticky stuff you can't get rid of, try as you might. I want you to think of, of areas of, of pride. By the way, if you've got nothing on your list, you can start with that. I want you to think of um, the stuff in your blind spot that you don't want to think about. And I want it in your mind right now. And we're going to stop and pray about this. Lord, I pray that you will grab, anybody listening to this, you will grab, hijack their brain and point out to them, convict them of those areas where we fall short before you. Help us fill out our list, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I want you to do that. And then here's our approach for class. We're going to do three things. We got some hurdles to jump. But first, we got to get a running start. You don't just start jumping a hurdle. You got you to get a run going. Second, we're going to do our first hurdle, and I'm going to talk about what's wrong with your list. And then the third thing we're going to do is talk about the effect of the gospel on your list. This is the personal gospel. So let's get a running start first. And what I've tried to do, uh, again, for new people uh, who may be here, uh, I'll try and put up as, whoops, as much as I can text in both English and Greek. And I know some of you, most of you don't have Greek knowledge, but that's okay. You're learning it as we go along. I had a fellow come up to me after class a couple of weeks ago and he said, hey, I think I'm following those Greek letters. And we talked about some of them. Um, we have a young lady in class who's, who's learning Greek letters and writing these down and all and having a good time. But here's a sample. So if we're going to get a running start on today's class, which starts kind of in the middle, about two-thirds of the way through chapter two, we need to understand, at least read through chapter two and make sure it's fresh in our brain. I don't have to reteach what Jarrett taught. You can find it on the internet, but let's at least uh, go through and make sure we're on the same page. I'll highlight a couple of concepts that are important to the context of what we're reading today. Paul said, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and I set before them I set before them, it's anathemain in the Greek, I set before them, oh, well the them is the autois, but I set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim, euangelion, the gospel. And what's the gospel when Paul's writing? It's the death of Christ for our sins, his burial and his resurrection in which we share. So Paul says, I set before them the gospel that I proclaim. Now, that is a verb. I proclaim, it's this verb right here, keruso in the Greek. And it's in what's called the present tense. 
And the present tense in Greek conveys an idea of something that's ongoing. It's not something that happened previously only and has ceased. It's not something that's only in the future. It's an ongoing action. And so it's, it's something that he, you can translate it not just I proclaim, that I am proclaiming. It's what he's doing. It's the constant flow that is his day-by-day thing. The gospel for Paul never changed. The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for our sins is his constant day-by-day, day-in, day-out, minute-by-minute. That's his proclamation because he's consistent in that and consistency is the key. It's true yesterday, it's true today, and it will be true tomorrow. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was resurrected. That's central, that's key, and it's critical we understand that. So Paul says, this is what I was doing, and I said it before those people, and those people who seem to be influential. And Paul says, look, I really don't care if they are or not, because God doesn't show partiality. Don't think that gives them some leg up with God that you don't have. But they added nothing to me. I told them the gospel is this, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I told them that's what I'm teaching, that that's the central part. And they didn't have anything to add to that. It's not the gospel plus. And this word here, they added nothing. Uden is the nothing. But prosanethetic. Prosanethento is the word for added nothing, prosanethento. And prosanethento is this idea of adding something to an existing amount. So I've got an amount here, and they had nothing to add to that existing amount. I've got the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for our sins. I've got that good news. I set it down before them the same way I preach it every day. And they had zero to add. They didn't say, oh no, it's that plus. It's that plus how well you do. It's that plus how good your heart is. It's that plus how clean your conscience is. It's that plus following the Jewish law. It's that plus anything. Because the gospel plus anything no longer equals the gospel. If you take the number four and you add something to it, you're not going to have four anymore. You say, well, well, if you add zero. Well, you didn't add anything if you added zero. If you add any other number to four, you're not going to still have four. The gospel, you can't add to it. And that's what this says. He says, I took it to them. And they didn't have anything to add to it. It's not the death of Christ plus. One of the great places where this verb is used, prosanethetento, is uh, in writings of a Greek historian named Xenophon. And Xenophon's got this great passage. But it, I, and I only pull it out to, to show you how this Greek word is used in a non-biblical setting. Xenophon's writing about why he would never want to be a politician. He says, I don't ever want to get into politics. He says, look how hard it is just to provide for your own needs. I think it's absurd not to be content to do that. But to shoulder the burden. And that's prose on a thento, but, but it's in a different verb form here. that's the same word, to shoulder the burden of supplying the wants of the community as well. He's saying, why would you want to be a politician? It's hard enough to take care of your own family. Can you imagine having to take care of everybody else? Hard enough to be responsible for your own safety. Would you want to be responsible for the safety of the country? Hard enough to be responsible for your own finances. You want to be responsible for the finances of everybody? That's what he's saying. That's an added burden. That's that verb. You've got enough burden already. Do you really want to add to it? This added burden. And that's the idea that Paul's saying. He says, look, I took them the gospel, but they didn't add anything to it because to add to it is a burden. And that idea of a burden can be present in that verb. 
that adding to the gospel becomes a burden. It's a weight. That list of yours is a weight. And many times we ignore that list because it's a weight and we don't want to feel weighed down. So Paul says, from those who seem to be influential, those I say who seemed influential, they added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw I'd been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted. This is a beautiful, beautiful passage. Um, on the contrary, when they saw peripistuomai to euangelion. This is from a, the verb pistuo. That's the verb for believe. When the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, that's, that's the word in a noun form that's faith, pistis. When the Bible says to believe, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, John 3, 16, that's the verb. And so Paul's put a funny little play on this. You can translate that verb, believe. You can translate it, trust. Have faith. And Paul says, you know, obviously the gospel is the death of Christ for our sins. And we have that, we enter into that, share with that through faith, through this verb. So there's a circle Paul's drawn here in this passage. Actually, he finishes the circle on what we're dealing with today. The circle gets started here, though, so that's why I want to bring it out. Paul says, God trusted me to teach the Gentiles to trust him. Because it's all the same word and it's woven through here. So Paul's talking about this and says, do you see that God put his faith in me to do the right job teaching you to put your faith in him? This is all about God's faithfulness. And to the extent you and I draw any measure of faith or, uh, or, or solace or understanding from Galatians, Paul wants it real clear that God is the source of that inspiration and faith that we're drawing because it's God who had enough faith in Paul to have Paul deliver that message for us so we'd have faith in God. And it all goes back to God. So that's our running start. Now, first hurdle I want us to cover. I want us to talk about what's wrong with your list. Because that's where Paul jumps in. Here's what he says. Galatians 2.15. We ourselves are Jews by birth. Fuse is the word. I haven't highlighted it there. Uh, but it's the, on the middle of the right on the Greek side, on the top line. Fuse means uh, by nature or by birth. It's something you were born with. By nature, I have two hands. I was born with them. Some people are not. The thalidomide babies had real trouble with birth defects of not having certain limbs. They would have been born, uh, you, you might have, I, I had a person come to me with a case one time, it was a thalidomide baby with one arm instead of two. By nature, by birth. Paul says, we ourselves are Jews by nature, by birth. That's the way we came. We're not ethnone. It's translated Gentiles, ethnone. Uh, it's the genitive form, but it's um, ethnos is, we get the word ethnic from it. That's just foreigners to a Jew. There are two kinds of people. There are Jews and there are non-Jews. It's translated Gentiles because that's basically what a Gentile is. Goy. You're either chosen or you're one of the others. And that in, in, in terminology for Paul as a Jew is the way he's using words. He says, we are ourselves Jews by birth. We're not the Gentile sinners. But we know that a person is not 
justified by works of the law. But through faith, it's the same word, believe, pistuo in the noun form, through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of law. Because by works of law, no one will be justified. Now, that's a long verse. And that's what we've got in front of us. And this is our hurdle. I want us to unpack this verse, and there's a lot to unpack. I mean, there's a lot to unpack in this verse. And we don't have time to unpack it all, and I don't want you to panic because this is actually going to be fun to unpack. We're going to have a good time doing this, okay? Let's start. We ourselves are Jews by birth. We're not Gentile sinners. And Paul's referencing there him and those influential leaders, likely. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified. Dikaiotai. Dikaiotai. Yeah, that's what you say it. Dikaiotai is the form here. Now, this comes from a word group, the DK word group, that, that has some very special meaning in Paul's time. It can mean just, you know, how good you live and how righteous you are, but, but that's not the way Paul's using the word. Paul's using it in a judicial sense, which means he's using it like a judge or like a lawyer or like a courtroom. And that's the technical usage of this word. Dikaioo is the, 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 the root form of the verb. Dikaioo mean, means not guilty. If you are ever in criminal trouble and you ever go in front of a judge, you want that judge to say, not guilty. And, and God is the ultimate judge. He's, he's over the Supreme Court. He's the supreme of the, he's the universal, historical, and future ultimate Supreme Court judge. And there's only one. And so here's the problem you got. And here's the problem I got. We made that list, right? And Paul says when he's talking about justified, he's talking about God looking at your list and saying not guilty. You say, but I am guilty. I did those things. Not guilty. There's a reason why. That's the good news. That's the gospel. So if we understand that's what justified means, see that we've got it three times here. We know a person is not justified by works of law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ. By the way, that word faith and that word believe is the same word in the Greek. It's just there it's a noun and there it's a verb. It's the same word that, that I used earlier where God believed or had faith or entrusted Paul with the gospel. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we have also believed. We've also had faith in Christ Jesus in order to be not guilty by faith in Christ Jesus. And not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one's going to be not guilty. Nobody gets not guilty by their list. And Paul's not talking here about, um, if, if you look at, at it in the Greek, Paul talks about um, out of works of law. But it's written in a way, it's an arthros in the Greek, and it doesn't have to mean this, but it indicates that, that, that Paul's expanding this beyond simply Old Testament law any law any idea of works of law is not any list is not going to get you right now i want to dig into this a little bit more with you understanding these three verbs justified 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 and i want to talk to you about tense uh not that kind of tense uh i want to talk to you about verb tense um verb tense in the greek is unusual 
because in our English language, verb tense is a reference to when something happened. But in Greek, verb tense is often more powerful in terms of how it indicates the aspect or, or the, the flow of what's happening happened. The, the, there's, let me explain it this way. Here we've got the present tense. A person is not justified, dikaiotai. A person is not justified. Present tense. Now the present tense means if you're not guilty is based on your list, then it's minute by minute. It's present tense. It's ongoing. You got to be justified all the time. I mean, if your justification is based on works of law, you slip, you're in trouble. I can remember as a kid not understanding this. Because as a kid, I would taught, was taught to pray this prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And then I was, God bless mom and dad, which probably means mom taught me the prayer because she came first on the blessing. I'm joking. Uh, mom, dad, Catherine, Holly... And please bless me. Then as I got a little bit older, I thought, boy, I need to pray for forgiveness of sins. Because what if I die in the middle of the night? So, God, forgive me of my sins. Then I'd wake up the next day, and I'd sin. And I'd think, oh, man, I do not want to die after a sin. i got to, like, ask for forgiveness, do atonement. i got to do something first. I don't, I don't want, you know, that's the way to go to hell. And, and that little child thinking was one that didn't understand this, but did understand the present tense of justified. If I'm justified by my list, by what I'm doing, then it's minute by minute, day by day, present tense. But Paul says, we know that's not the case because no one's going to be right before God. No one's going to be not guilty moment by moment every day. It's not going to happen. And then Paul changes his tense here. So he says, present tense, not by works of law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we've also put our faith or believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified. And there, to be justified, is what's called the aorist, our historical tense. And it's used for a variety of ways, but here it's used with the idea that you're not guilty has already been pronounced. Your list has already been taken care of. It's something historical. This was the story of Dr. Floyd. When, when, uh, my Galatians teacher, my Greek professor, one of my Greek professors, I guess I had three or four of them, but one of them, my main one. And Dr. Floyd said, when asked one day by a student in class, and I've told you this story before. This is too good a story. You've got to have this in your arsenal. Student in class, Dr. Floyd, tell us about the day you were saved. And he took his glasses off and he looked wistfully into the past. He says, ooh, the day I was saved. It was a most momentous day. It happened nearly 2,000 years ago on a hill outside Jerusalem, Calvary. This is a historical fact. Our not guilty is based upon something that's already happened and it's already been declared before you filled out your list for today. So Paul is shifting verb tenses here. We don't get that because our brains aren't geared to that. But when you're reading the Greek, it jumps out at you and says, Hello, we're not moment by moment justified by how good we're doing. But we have been justified in the past by our trusting in Christ. See, you can see this word, the D, the, the, it looks like an O with like a little thing coming up across the top. That's a D. And then you've got an I without a dot. And then you've got a K. And then you've got an A with like an extra old-fashioned way to do it. And then another I. That is the root that's being used in this verb. 
Here it is again, D-I-K-A-I, or Delta, Iota, Kappa, Lambda, Alpha, Iota. And then you've got a short O, which looks like our O, here a long O that looks like a, a W. But you can see it's the same word. The reason the tail is different is because the verb tense is different. And because he's got the we ending on this. First person plural. But, but, but that's the difference. It's the same word. He's just saying we're not currently being justified moment by moment. It's something that's already happened. We've already been declared not guilty in the past. It's already been pronounced. And then he says, not by works of law. He says that three times here in this passage too. Because by works of law, no one will be justified. And here he's got a future tense. It's an eschatological future, uh, uh, David Capes and I decided, talking about this. We don't even know if that exists, but we decided it does. It, 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 means, it, it, it means that no one will ever get a not guilty just from their list. So if you're sitting there thinking, man, how can I be this age and still have these problems? You're not alone. If you're sitting there thinking, man, if anybody had a clue about this, that, or the other, they'd know why I'm just not even remotely worthy or right. Or Okay. God knows all of that, but has declared you justified. I mean, remember the guy writing this killed Stephen indirectly. Persecuted the church. And you won't get the not guilty off your list if you're basing it on works of law. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. By the way, Paul is loosely quoting here. I say loosely quoting. He's probably writing it from memory and he changes the word for emphasis. But Psalm 142, which in the Greek translation of the Old Testament that Paul would have used a Septuagint, a Greek translation. Uh, it's numbered differently. So if you're trying to look this up on the internet and you think, wait, Psalm 143 doesn't even read that way. In, in, in your Septuagint, it would be listed as Psalm 142. But the psalm says, look what the psalmist says. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give an ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, and that righteousness is dikaiosune. Same word, see that delta, iota, kappa, al, uh, alpha, iota? Same word, your righteousness, you're not guilty. How do we ever say to God to answer us in his righteousness? That's a problem, because don't judge me, for no one living is righteous again same word no one living is righteous before you this is what Paul's quoting he's quoting the um, except instead of pas zone he says pasa uh, sarks um, no flesh instead of no life but Paul's quoting this he says enter not into judgment with your servant yet because no one living is righteous before you. Yet he says, answer me in your righteousness. The righteousness of God that we get answered is the gospel. That's how we want to be judged. We do not want to be judged on our list. We want to be judged by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for our sins. We want that counted on our behalf, on our accord. So this future tense here is a quotation with that because no one's ever going to get not guilty off their list. C.K. Barrett was a British theologian, wrote a commentary on Romans, and I loved what he said about a similar passage Paul put in Romans. He said, law, the idea that you get saved by your list, law means the upward striving of human religion and morality, and therefore colors, told you he was British, all human activity with sin, because it represents man's attempt to scale God's throne. If you think you're good enough 
and you want to be judged based on your list, then you have just colored everything you're thinking and doing with sin because for you to be judged by your list is you to scale God's throne instead of him bringing you into his presence. And nobody's got what it takes to scale it. So that's what's wrong with your list. Now, I want to talk about the effect the gospel has on your list. Let's continue. 2.17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, if in our endeavor to be declared not guilty in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ a servant of sin? Now these verses, uh, uh, my, uh, Greg and I were emailing about these verses because these verses are kind of difficult to get. And one of the reasons why is we're only getting Paul's letter addressing problems that were existing in a community where Paul had been undermined by false brothers teaching a false gospel which Paul said needs to be cursed and so we don't know exactly what they're saying but what they were accusing Paul of and some of their logic is probably in this verse you know maybe they were saying well you can't believe Paul because if, if Paul's right, then Christ just uh, is the servant of sin. Maybe that, we don't know. But here's what Paul says. If in our endeavor to be declared right in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ a servant of sin? Heavens, no. Meganoito, certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Through the law, I died to the law so I might live to God. What's he talking about? Let me give you an example, an illustration. Uh, about 20 plus years ago, maybe 25 years ago, I decided to put a little pond, a little uh, fish pond. Yeah, nothing too big, about the size of this table in the backyard. So I got a fella to help me. Manuel and I got out there with shovels. And we dug and we dug and we dug a massive hole in the wrong place. I mean, we dug. And I mean, we dug it like four feet deep and we got sides. I mean, it's, we, we were like almost digging a swimming pool. And I looked at it and I looked at it before we started putting in the liner and all of the rock and everything. I thought, I really don't want it there. I want it over here. Now, when Becky does that with moving furniture, that's okay the first time. I, I mean, we can move the furniture. I grew up in a house where mom, about every six months, would decide to move the furniture. And dad, you know, at first just said, you know, happy wife, happy life, so move the furniture. But I think it got old towards the end, like after the third or fourth hernia operation. And, uh, joking. So, so I, I did that. And I had to say to Manuel, after we spent a weekend digging the hole, Manuel, we got to fill that hole up and re-dig it over here. I'm about four feet off from where I want to be. You know what? I had to fill it back up because I made a mistake. I erred. I was wrong. And that's some of what Paul is saying if I'm gonna say that I died to the law and then I'm gonna say I gotta live under the law then I made a mistake when I said I died to it I dug the hole wrong but I haven't made that mistake I was right then so I'm still right now here's the way F.F. F. Bruce said it in his Greek commentary on Galatians he said the law free gospel the idea that, and F.F. And, and Bruce uses Paul's word gospel knowing what Paul means. I mean, it's, it's, he's focused in death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The idea that my salvation, my not guilty before God, isn't because of works of law, but because of Christ. That law-free gospel of being declared not guilty by faith doesn't make me 
sinners now for the first time. It reveals I was already a sinner. The gospel didn't increase the subtotals of sinners. We were all sinners. Our list was always bad. It still is bad. But when Paul says this, if in, whoops, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, you know, so we're justified, but we're found to be sinners, then is Christ just a servant of sin? Is he in cahoots with the sinners? Well, he's not a servant of sin. He hates sin, and that's why he destroys the penalty of sin. He's not serving sin. Christ is not a part of the sinning. He's a part of the fix. And we can't turn around now when we have died to the law and turn around and start saying that that's how we're going to be saved. When our list has been put to death and we said we're not guilty with our list, we can't turn around and put the list in place tomorrow. Doesn't work that way. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. When Christ died, I died. That's the gospel. The death of Christ, I'm a part of. And this, I've been crucified with, um, is all one word. Christo is the way he starts it. Christo, Christ, I've been crucified with. Sunus tauromai, I've been crucified with. Stauros is the cross. I've been crossed with him. I've been on that cross with him. I've been crucified with Christ. And this in the Greek is what's called the perfect tense. Now the perfect tense in Greek has a really cool effect. It means that this happened in the past, but it has present consequences. And so the perfect tense is not just, hey, this happened in the past, but it's look at the present result of what happened in the past. So this, I've been crucified with Christ, that's already happened. But if you're reading it in the Greek, you're reading it and you say, oh, but Paul wants me to know what it means for me right now. What are the present consequences? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live. All of this are the present consequences. All of this is in the present tense. I have been crucified, past tense, but let me tell you what it means now. It means that I'm still alive, but it's Christ who's alive in me. That resurrection Jesus. And the life that I live, present tense, I live by faith, trusting in the Son of God who loved me. Who gave himself for me. So Paul's saying this is the present consequence. This is where we are. These are the present consequences. I live this by faith in God. It's, I don't live based on being right before God by my list. I live being right before God based on Christ dying for my list. And I was with him when he died. All of my list, everything you've got, every inadequacy, every sin, every problem, everything was on that cross with Jesus when he died. And he was all sufficient. And his death was all sufficient to meet every one of those and have you and me declared not guilty. And when we trust him for that, when we rely on him, when we put our faith in him, when we believe in him, that is imparted to us, the not guilty. And it's not based on anything we do. It's not based on any merit we bring. Nothing to the cross I bring. The, the old hymn, my richest gain I count but loss. And poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of of Christ my Lord. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. I mean, this is what it's about. I live, but it's Christ in me who's living. Those are the present consequences. And then Paul says, I don't nullify. 
Ukatheto. I don't nullify. That is present tense. So Paul's got a choice here. I can live the life I live right now in Christ. Whoops. Or I can present tense nullify it. And if I'm going back to my list, I'm nullifying the grace of God. Why did Christ die if you've got your silly little list? That list doesn't make us right before God. Now that doesn't mean that the list is irrelevant. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to deal with the list. But let's keep our silos separate. We're going to talk. Paul's going to get to victorious Christian living. But before we get to living in victory and the fruit of the Spirit and how God can conquer our list and transform us daily into the greater likeness of the image of His Son, before we see how the Christ who lives in us permeates out into our life, before we see how the Spirit that resurrected Christ empowers us to live a Spirit-filled life, we need to understand it's entirely because of the cross of Christ and never because of our merit and never because of our works and never because we earned it. And God does not love you because you are so lovable. God loves you because he is such a loving God and he'll make you lovable, you irascible person, you. And with that, let me bless you and let's go to church. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you with my list and everybody with me prays with their list and we bring it to the cross of Christ and we lay it there and we ask you, Father, may the, 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 the death of Christ be the death of our sin. We trust you, Father, to declare us not guilty because the true price for our sin has been fully paid in Christ. We put that trust in you and we ask you to indwell within us. Have Christ in our hearts. Put your spirit, your presence in us, Father. Transform who we are before you. And may you get all of the glory and all of the credit and all of the honor and all of the praise forever and ever and ever. Amen. See you guys in two weeks. Pastor David will be here next Sunday. Thank you all.